today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. above all people need to realize that the only peace, the only peace that's possible on this earth is the peace that comes from receiving the favor of God. And secondly, that finding or receiving the favor of God is not so much an action of our own, which brings about his favor, as it is the work of God's sovereign call, the work of God in our life. Peace is only possible if it is received through the undeserved favor of God. According to the scriptures, no man or woman who has ever experienced peace has ever done anything to deserve it. As Pastor David makes clear, the only way to receive the gift of peace that God offers is by accepting it as a gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Any man or woman who believes in Jesus will receive the gift of peace made available to the heart of every fallen man. Now here's Pastor David with the second part of his message entitled, Undeserved Peace. There was a great fear because for these shepherds, the only thing that they could understand is this was the the avenging angel of the Lord that had come to take them out because, let's face it, they didn't look at themselves probably with very much uh, esteem in their position and the way that the culture treated them. And now the angel of the Lord would appear to them? What other reason would it be than to take them out, to bring their death? Just as Zacharias saw the angel Gabriel there in the temple as we looked in chapter 1, the word told us that he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Well, these shepherds were also in fear, fear of their very lives. But then the angel didn't let them stay there. Look at verse 10. In verse 10 it says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. When we read or we hear about this angelic proclamation, we could easily be cynical. We could ask ourselves, well, does the gospel message, does the good news, does this glad tidings really and truly bring joy to all people? But the problem comes with our understanding of really what's being said here and what the angel is declaring. If I were to tell you that the news has come out and that everyone living within the city limits of Casa Grande, Arizona, was going to receive a gift of 40 
$1,000 from a very wealthy benefactor. Let me ask you, would that be good news? What about you guys that live outside of Casa Grande? It's not such good news, is it? But let's go back to you that are here within the city limits. It's good news to you only if you're willing to receive it. Only if you're willing to take that gift that's being offered. I loved how Sue, on the closing ceremonies of Vacation Bible School, she had a gift beautifully packaged. Uh, tough for a little kid to open up, but it was beautifully packaged. And she called Jacob up and said, Jacob, I want to give you this gift. And she said, this gift is yours. But she held on to it. She asked him the question, so is this gift really yours? It's not until you receive it. So he received it, and yet even then, it's not really completely fully his until he opens it up. And you see, this good news is available to all people, but it's not going to be good news to all people because not all people are going to receive that gift. Not all people are going to open up what has been offered to them. We look here, and the hope of the gospel has been given to all people not just to those of a particular area or within the boundaries or borders, not those of uh, some particular nationality, not a particular tribe, not a particular people group. It's available to whosoever, and it is effective in their lives only to those who take advantage of that offer, of that good news. And the angel's words were dripping with all kinds of messianic meaning. He says, in the city of David, and he didn't say in Bethlehem. They knew what he was speaking about when he said the city of David, but in declaring the city of David, he not only declared a portion of the prophetic declaration that he would be born in Bethlehem, but he also speaks of the lineage of Christ. The city of David, he is of the lineage of King David. He says, in the city of David, a savior. And this very name speaks of his position. Remember, his name is Jesus, the very understanding and the meaning of the name. The Hebrew is Yeshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation. He is the Savior. In the city of David, a Savior, Yeshua, will be born, who is the Christ. This, again, speaks of his position. It speaks of his calling. To the Jew, he was Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus, the anointed one, that's what Messiah means. In the Hebrew, is Mashiach. In the Greek, it's Christ. All three of those the same. The anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. The angelic proclamation declared who Jesus is, his position in the work of God's grace and God's mercy, the reason for his calling and the reason for his position and place in that physical life. Why he even took upon himself physical flesh. He goes on to speak and say, not only in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ, but who is Christ the Lord. And again, this speaks of his authority. It speaks of his leadership in the lives and the affairs of men, all men and all of his creation. He's not just Lord of those who recognize him and call him Lord. Do you understand that? He's not just Lord of the believers. He is Lord over all of his creation, even when men don't recognize his authority, even when men don't uh, abide by his leadership in their lives, he is still Lord over them. 
Word of God declares him to be Lord of all, over all things, over all kingdoms, over all powers, over every dominion, all of this under his control. You don't need to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 19, after again the the time of tribulation and all, Jesus comes back to claim his rulership over all of that creation. And he doesn't come as a helpless little babe in a manger in a, in a back area someplace. No, he comes as the warrior riding on a white horse, judging and making war with the nations who have rejected him. And the word tells us that his eyes will be like a flame of fire, and on his head there will be many crowns. And again, speaking of his authority, of his lordship, and he'll have on his robe and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, he is the Savior, Christ the Lord. But that's not how the shepherds found him, is it? They found him born humbly as a babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. But before they went to find him, after the angel had made this proclamation, verse 13 tells us, and suddenly, again, Luke uses this word of bam, it's there. Just as this one angel finishes, bam, this host of other angels is there. Suddenly with that angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Again, these are words giving glory, giving praise to God Almighty, God in the highest. But again, we need to be careful how we understand and what we understand this passage to be. Some of late have interpreted it to say that God's peace will come to men of goodwill. Your version in your Bible may even say that. But that would leave us to understand that God's favor and thus his peace only lands on good people. And yet the very translation of that text really more clearly brings out the fact that his peace that he gives, the peace on earth, will come to the people he favors. J.A. Martin, in his commentary on this verse, says, the better understanding is that on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests is preferred over the King James Version's goodwill toward men. God's peace is not given to those who have goodwill, but to those who are the recipients of God's goodwill or favor. Or to put it as another writer states it, the point is rather that through the birth of the Messiah, God extends his favor to people who have done nothing to deserve it, and he graciously grants them peace. Peace expresses the nature of salvation as the restoration of good relations between God and sinful people and the consequent reception of his blessing. So with that understanding, with that realization of what's being said there, we above all people need to realize that the only peace, the only peace that's possible on this earth is the peace that comes from receiving the favor of God. And secondly, that finding or receiving the favor of God is not so much an action of our own, which brings about his favor, as it is the work of God's sovereign call. The work of God in our lives. I tell you that because otherwise, men and women, 
who are living their lives like Rahab the harlot, or cheaters and swindlers like the tax collector Zacharias and perhaps even Matthew the disciple, or people whose lives resemble more the woman of Samaria who had had five husbands and the one she's living with right now she's not married to, she's a live-in lover, or those who are haters of authority and government of any sort, rather it be corrupt or otherwise, like Simon the Zealot, again, one of the disciples, or even religious bigots and haters like Saul of Tarsus. You see, if his peace only came to men of goodwill, all those wouldn't be able to receive it, would they? And a host of others, they would never know the favor or the peace of God if it was only to good people that Jesus came. No, ours is the hope that the gospel comes to all people. As the psalmist declared when he is speaking about Israel, even in their rejection, even in their undisciplined lives, in the midst of their iniquity, the psalmist declared this. He says, Nevertheless, God saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. Beloved, you need to remember that it is and always has been that in the depth and in the greatness of our sin, the grace and mercy of our God breaks in. That's why Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that once we cleaned our lives up and started living the right way. No, that's not how it goes, just in case you didn't know. It says this, God demonstrated his love toward us in that what? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But on the other hand, you need to understand that though he comes to us and saves us while we are in the midst of our sin, he doesn't allow us and he does not intend for us to remain that way, does he? He calls for a change. He calls for the old to be passed away, the new to come again, that we would, again, lay off that sin that so easily besets us, run with patience the race that's set before us, looking again for that goal of that high calling, forgetting what is behind, pressing on forward. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. As a matter of fact, turn there, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because I want you to see Again, the grace and the mercy of God that comes to all people. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to begin down in verse 9. Paul writes to the church there in Corinth, but he's also writing to us today. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, see right there, Pastor, that's completely opposite of what you've been saying, that he calls everybody. No, remember what I said. He calls us even in our sin, but when Christ comes in our lives, he comes to change our lives. His righteousness is now our righteousness, and we live to glorify him in that. But let me continue on what he says. Unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, but don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. See, something needs to change in our lives. He calls us in that situation, but he calls us to change. Not before we come to him, 
the very reason we come to him. Listen to what he says, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, don't think that you got away with this because your personal sin wasn't listed here, okay? He could have gone on and on. He could have listed greed and gluttony and jealousy and hatred, the profane, the proud, the disobedient. I mean, how long do we need to go on before you realize, no, Paul wasn't trying to give an exhaustive list of sins that we've been partakers of, but he's giving that general understanding that, hey, you know what? In our sin, Jesus found us. But then he washed us, cleansed us in order that the old would be passed away. See, well, my sins aren't that bad, but we need to remember what James told us. Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. So you see, that puts all of us on the same level, doesn't it? That puts us all at the same level that there's no one that we can look down on and say, well, the reason God called me is because I wasn't as bad as he was. The reason God finds favor in me is because my sin isn't as bad as hers. No, if we partake or if we stumble in one area, we are guilty of all. To go even deeper, remember it was Jesus that said, it's even to have an attitude toward these things. You're still guilty of them. Christ came to redeem us from the law, but not to excuse our lawlessness. Let me give that to you again because we all need to understand that. It needs to be driven into our thick skulls many times. He came to redeem us from the law, but not to excuse our lawlessness. So that once we come to Christ, it's not like, okay, man, you signed the card, you got the ticket, you're in, everything's fine, live any way that you want. Why? Because you're assured of heaven and glory. No, that's not why God called us. He called us that we would be different, that we would be a light to the world, that we would be a demonstration of the reality of the holiness and the righteousness of Almighty God, but also a demonstration of the love and the compassion and the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. You see, to just simply be a demonstration of the holiness and the righteousness of God, and yet not also have at the same time compassion and care and love and mercy for the world, then suddenly you've put God on a plane that nobody can touch. You put salvation in a, in a realm that, that isn't available because outside of Christ, well, I could never be as righteous as you are. I, in my life right now, I could never be as good as you are. But it's an acknowledgement and the attitude of the grace and the mercy of Christ. We can demonstrate the reality of holiness and righteousness, but also demonstrate the reality of mercy and grace. The message came to the shepherds in order that we might know that the message is for all people, all people. It's verse 15, back in Luke, verse 15 tells us, and so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the sayings which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Don't miss the fact, and I love the way, the fact that it's in our word the way that it is. It doesn't say that the shepherds went and they saw the babe, and then they went away glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. It doesn't say that they went and saw the babe and believed the promise that the angel declared. And then they gathered together every Sunday morning, had great rallies and encouragements to each other, and then went back out about their business. What does it say there? It says that now when they had seen him, verse 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They had a story to tell. They had a story that was more powerful than anything else that had ever happened to them in their entire life. You can't believe it. We were just simply there, sitting on the hills, watching the sheep. They were pretty quiet that night. It was pretty well laid back. Uh, uh, Sam over here, he was, he, was, he was dozing off. But me and Abe, we were sitting there talking, and all of a sudden, bam, this, this angel comes. We thought we were dead. But the angel says, hey, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy that's going to be to all people. Because unto you, unto us as shepherds, shepherds. An angel of God is telling us that unto us this day is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I can't get over that. That God would let me know as a shepherd that he loves me so much that he sent Christ to die for me. Then we went and there was suddenly a whole host of angels glorifying God and praising him. So we went and we saw the babe, and sure enough, it was just like the angels had said. This babe born, not in a palace, but in that humble manger setting. The Messiah, the gift of God. Do you really think that if you were a shepherd, and you led that just kind of mediocre day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. Man, I've been a shepherd for over 25 years and nothing has ever happened like this. Do you think that you would be able to keep silent? I believe that the story would just bust out of you. You can't believe what happened to us that night. You can't believe what God has spoken to us. You can't believe what God is doing right now. You wouldn't be able to contain that story. Do you have a story? Has God changed you? Has the redemptive work of Almighty God entered into your heart and life that you who are dead in your trespasses and sin have now been made alive unto Christ?
for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that the open word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.